0: The reading today is from Romans chapter 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment An avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes, to whom taxes are owed, revenue, to whom revenue is owed, respect, to whom respect is owed, honor, to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder. You shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the word of the Lord.
1: We're in the middle of this series here at Mount Hope that we're calling Repurposed Relationships. And if you've been with us over the last couple of months, you know we've been walking through the book of Romans. And when we started uh, Romans chapter 12, right at the beginning, we called those weeks that we walked through Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we called those living the repurposed life. And what we were saying in those weeks is we said that when we turn our lives over to God, when we turn everything that we have over to Jesus Christ, God takes our life, which we recognize in that moment is broken and worn out and repurposes it to for something new and something different in the same way that it's popular uh, for us to take old things and repurpose them into things that are new in our uh, culture and the way that we live that's what God does with our lives over the past couple of weeks we've been working our way through the rest of Romans chapter 12 and into chapter 13 and we have said you know when God does that with our lives it starts to affect certain things And it affects, one thing that it affects is it affects our relationships. And so we're talking about this, repurposed relationships. How do our relationships become made new when we put our trust in Jesus Christ? And we've talked about this a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks ago, if you were with us, we talked about our relationship with one another inside of the church And how our relationship changes to the person that's sitting next to you, or on a, I guess on a week when it's the women's retreat that's sitting a few seats down from you, right? The person that's in your row, that's in your area, how do you relate to that person? And last week we talked about showing genuine love, and we talked about it uh, in something that's very challenging, in a way that's very challenging. We talked about showing genuine love for our friends, and we talked about genuine love for our enemies, And we said when we follow Jesus Christ, he changes things so that we are able to show genuine love, not just to our friends, but also to those who we see as against us. This week we take on another relationship. Another relationship that changes in Jesus Christ. And my guess is this is a relationship that you've been thinking a lot about lately. It's something that's been uh, on your mind lately. I don't know if you noticed this week, perhaps uh, your, your mind was somewhere else, uh, perhaps you were busy with other things, uh, but I was also surprised to find out. I don't know if anyone heard anything about it, but did you realize that we had an election this week? Did you catch that? I woke up Wednesday morning and saw that, that there was an election. I thought, why has no one been talking about this? When Pastor Rick and I set out this Book of Romans series... We met last January, and we took a week of time, and we went away up to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, and for that week, we prayed together, and we sought the Lord together, and we said, God, what do you want us to talk about, and when do you want us to talk about it? And to be honest with you, when we were laying out the book of Romans, it didn't even occur to us way back in January when Romans 13, this passage on governing authorities, would be falling. But God clearly wants us to talk about it this morning because God placed it right here. This was a tough election cycle. No matter how you feel today about it, this was a tough one. It was a long 20 months. I don't know how you felt, I felt like it was a long 20 months. And as people are emerging from this election cycle, we see that there are some people that are pretty wounded, some people that are struggling with it, some people that are pretty happy. One thing that rises up inside of us through a process, especially a process that's so difficult, is a tension that I think, especially as Christians, we have to face it's a tension that exists in your life and my life uh, and it's a tension that especially in a, in a time where the process of electing a new leader is so messy. This tension rises to the surface and it's something that you and I have to deal with if we're followers of Jesus Christ. And the tension that you and I are dealing with is that you and I are part of two kingdoms. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, if I call myself a follower of Jesus Christ, which I do, if we're in the same boat in that, you and I are a part of two kingdoms. We are a part of an earthly kingdom, the government with which we live, and some of you in this room, that includes multiple nations. You're a part of of a government structure, And we are also a part of the kingdom of heaven. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple of his, you've put your trust in him, you have citizenship in two kingdoms. One that sits on this earth. And one that finds its seat in heaven, one that is eternal. And the tension that arises inside you and inside of me as followers of Jesus Christ is how do we deal with the two of those when they seem like they are in conflict? And certainly in an election cycle today, you know, over the past almost two years that has been so contentious and so messy, sometimes we have to, sometimes we deal with this conflict very real in our hearts. How do I deal with this? That I follow God and I live for a heavenly kingdom, but now there's this difficulty. And around the world, of course, we see this. That human structures and human kingdoms and human governments are messy things. And sometimes they just don't seem very Christian, do they? And so this tension arises inside of us. How do we deal with this as Christians? How do we live in the midst of this as Christians? What is our responsibility as Christians? This tension arises. Now Paul knew that this was arising in the hearts of his listeners in in Rome. Because here you have a, a, a number of new people that have started to follow Jesus. Some of them are Jewish people. And they live in the reality of the Roman Empire. So, uh, not only are they being governed by the Roman Empire, and by the way, if you think our election cycles were messy, read up on how the Caesars came into power. And so they're living under the reality of of a Caesar named Nero and everything that's happening within the Roman Senate, and, and, and they live under that. Now, if they're Jewish... If the new believers are Jewish, not only are they living under that power, they're also reminded every time they see what's happening in the government in Rome, and here they sit uh, in the city of Rome, so the Roman Senate and everything else that's there. I mean, the Colosseum isn't built at this point, but some of the things are there. They're reminded of the power of this empire, and if they're Jewish, it means they live in exile underneath this empire. It means they're dealing with the fact that they feel like they should be ruling themselves and they're not. And so what's their role as Christians with this Roman government? And to the people who are Gentiles that have begun to follow Jesus, people who are Roman citizens, they're probably wondering themselves, boy, this Roman empire seems pretty unchristian. What's my responsibility? So Paul knew that there was this tension. You know, Jesus knew about this tension. Jesus knew about this tension. Jesus did his ministry underneath the Roman Empire. And you know, there was a time that a group of Pharisees who wanted to trick Jesus came to him and they asked him a question about government. And they said to him, they they came up to him and they said, you know, Jesus, we know that you're you're really wise and and that you have all, you know, you're a very smart guy. And they said, we have a question for you. And John, I think my clicker's busted, so we may have to have you do it. They said they brought up this question to him. Is it lawful, they said, to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? Now the Pharisees asking Jesus this question, they felt like they had him cornered. Because if Jesus says no, he looks like a traitor to the Romans Now, I don't know if you are aware of how this worked with the Jewish people, but the Roman Empire had a tax, so let's say they said the tax was 10%, and then they would hire local tax collectors, and many of the tax collectors were Jewish uh, men that decided to become tax collectors, and boy, they were seen as traitors, because they were taxing their own people for the Romans. Now, if the tax rate was 10%, the Romans said, listen, tax collectors, here's how you get paid. Whatever you can get people to pay, you can keep the difference. So now the tax collector would come back to his own people and they would say, I know Rome says tax is 10%, but I say it's 18%. And so there was this tension there. And they know if Jesus says don't pay taxes, the Romans see him as a traitor. And if he says, yes, pay your taxes, the Jewish people whom he's trying to minister to will reject him because they hate the taxes. And they, they hate the people that collect the taxes. And they hate the people they have to pay. And so there's this tension Between being in God's kingdom and an earthly kingdom. How do we deal with it? And see, you and I feel this tension too, don't we? We feel the tension when we go into a ballot, a voting booth, and we look at the list, and we kind of wish there was maybe like a none of the above circle. We feel that tension. We feel that tension when we live in a, in a society, when we live under a government that tells us that we're bullies and that we're, we're cruel if we, if we were to question somebody based on the way that they look or, the, or an orientation, but thinks it's smart, insightful commentary to bully and mock people based upon their faith. When we live in that sort of world, there's a tension, There's a tension that exists between the heavenly kingdom I'm a part of and the earthly kingdom that I'm a part of. When it just feels like we're not sure that we're headed in the right direction, we deal with these tensions. We don't just deal with them in election year. We deal with them multiple times in our lives. So the question that lies before us this morning is how do we deal with that tension? What is our responsibility and I want to suggest to you two things this morning that I think we are to do people that call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ when we come into that tension and when we have that conflict between the one kingdom and the other kingdom what you and I are supposed to do because the reality is we are part of two kingdoms a temporary earthly kingdom and an eternal heavenly kingdom so what are we supposed to do I think Paul gives us very clearly two things that apply to the church in Rome and it applies to us today. And the first thing that Paul says is that we are to participate. We're to participate. Perhaps one of the responses we could have when things are messy and things seem very unholy and unspiritual in the way they get done, is to withdraw from it all. And just say, well, whatever happens, happens. And I'm just gonna focus on me and, and Jesus. But Paul very clearly here calls the Romans to participate, doesn't he? He says, pay your taxes, which doesn't sit well with the church. This is not a popular thing. Paul's not saying this to applause in the congregation at Rome. Paul is saying, pay your taxes. And the people are saying, Paul, are you, do you know? Like, I don't know if you've read a newspaper lately, but do you know who's in charge? This is who's in charge when Paul is writing these words. A man named Nero. Here's some of Nero's highlights, okay? Nero comes into power in AD 54. He was married to a woman named Octavia, but had a long affair with a slave woman named Briannicus. He murdered Brianicus at the request of his mother, Agrippina. Now, after that, he would spend time, he used to disguise himself, the books say, and he would go down into the, with the normal citizens and he would visit brothels and taverns, and often he would physically assault his own citizens while he was in disguise. He had an incestuous relationship with his mother, and then he murdered her, and then just for good measure, murdered his wife, Octavia. A few years after Paul's letter, to the the Romans. Nero, many people think he set fire to the city, but there was a great fire in the city of Rome. Most historians think Nero set it so that he could be the hero and rebuild the city. But Nero blamed that fire on the Christians. And he became one of the most severe persecutors of Christians. So Paul says, yeah, that guy, Nero, Pay taxes to him. Respect him. Participate in the earthly government that you are a part of. Paul says respect him because only authority only comes from God. And so if there's someone in your life that has been given authority, God has allowed that person to sit in that seat. I may not understand it. You may not understand it, but God has allowed it to take place. And Paul says, that guy Nero, I don't like him either necessarily. I don't think Paul was campaigning for Nero. I don't think he thinks any of this stuff is appropriate. I don't think he likes the fact that they all sit under this Roman rule. But he says, listen, you need to participate. You need to respect the fact that God's put these people in places of authority. I think if Paul was saying this to us today, Paul would be telling us to engage engage. Don't just walk away from this. Engage in it. People are put in, are allowed to have positions of authority because God has allowed them to have it. They are God's servants, Paul says. Put there. Whether they know it or not, it is God that has allowed them to be there. And I think if Paul was here today, he would tell us to participate. That he would tell us to engage. That he would tell us don't just walk away and pretend like you're not a part of it. Have something to say into it. And so Paul says, what do you do? Well, you should participate. You should participate in the earthly kingdom, but you should also participate in the heavenly kingdom. You need to do both of those. Participate in the earthly kingdom and participate in the heavenly kingdom. If you were to go back and read Romans 13, you would see after he's done talking about the human government structures, Paul talks about the law of God. He talks about the law of God and he says, not only should you participate in the earthly government, not only should you pay the taxes that you have to pay and respect that authority, but on top of that, you need to fully participate in the kingdom of God. Keep the laws that God gives you. Remember those 10 commandments. Live by them and show love to your neighbor because if you're showing love to your neighbor, you'll keep all the other commandments and live an exemplary life, Paul says. At the end there, When he gets into all that talk about orgies and drunkenness and all of those sorts of things, he says, live an exemplary life. Here's a bunch of things that aren't even illegal, Paul says. Here's some things that the government doesn't tell you are wrong. But as followers of Jesus Christ, as people of the heavenly kingdom, stay away from these things too. So what Paul says is Paul says you are a part of two kingdoms. And sometimes those kingdoms are in tension and in conflict. So what do you do? Well, you don't stop participating in either one of them. You participate in both. And more than participate, we keep the proper perspective. Well, what's the proper perspective? perspective you might ask. Here's how I would sum it up. We're part of two kingdoms, an earthly one and a heavenly one. But for those of us who follow Jesus Christ, the proper perspective is that the second kingdom must always govern the first. You and I are part of two kingdoms, an earthly one and a heavenly one. We participate in both. But when push comes to shove and the two are in conflict the second kingdom must always govern the first. I think it's key that Paul tells us that, that the person that's placed in authority is God's servant sent there to do good. That means that not only do we live under the authority of God but whoever is in authority whoever God has allowed to be there also lives under God's authority. And if that person is not respecting God's authority, and is not doing what God has asked them to do, well, that's where it creates the tension and the conflict. And if we were to create a little org chart as to what I think Scripture calls us to, and what Paul would call us to, this is how I think it would look. We have the law of God, we are followers of Jesus, and there's the laws of the state. Well, you and I are clearly under the authority of the law of God. That is our authority. But we also sit under the authority of the laws of the state. But that's a dotted line, however. Because the laws of the state also sit under the authority of the laws of God. And when the laws of the state, even though I'm participating in both, If the law of the state ever tells me that I have to disobey the law of God, the proper perspective, Paul would tell us, is that that second kingdom has to govern and has to rule the first. You may ask, you know, is there any chance that we could ever, for the sake of God, Uh, challenge the government? Does the Bible allow for that? I mean, you think about Dietrich Bonhoeffer during World War II challenging Hitler because he was a Christian and dying for that. You think about Martin Luther King Jr. challenging established systems out of his faith and out of what he believed that God was calling him to. Is he violating what Paul is talking about here? You think about the missionaries that this church supports who are around the globe, who are in countries where it is illegal to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we are giving them money monthly to support what they're doing around the world. Are we in violation of what Paul is talking about here? I would say absolutely not. Because when you're in a position where the first kingdom and the second kingdom are in conflict, the second kingdom must always rule the first. There's this point in Acts chapter 5 where the apostles are, are starting to preach the gospel more boldly. And the Jewish officials don't like it. The Roman officials don't like it. So they call them in and they threaten them. And in Acts chapter 5, the apostles are faced with this conflict. They're part of the kingdom of God, but they're also part of the kingdom of men. And so what are they going to do? And these officials, they, they speak to the disciples and they say, listen, you keep doing this. Uh, we're going to imprison you. We're going to beat you or worse. And they, Peter looks back at these officials and he says, here, it's pretty simple for us. When push comes to shove and these two things are in conflict, we must obey God rather than men. You know, in 2014, there was a lawsuit from a company named Hobby Lobby. And maybe you're familiar with Hobby Lobby. We don't have it much up here in the Northeast, but you travel other places and it's like Dunkin' Donuts is here. It's, a, it's a, like a Michael's type store, an arts and craft type store around the Midwest and the South. The owners of Hobby Lobby are Christians, the Green family. And when the health the newer healthcare bills came out, they were faced with a dilemma. Because the newer healthcare legislation required them to provide prescriptions that they disagreed with, pills that they disagreed with. Now, what would have been easy, what would have been easy is to say no problem, we'll just do it. But when the two are in conflict, they said, we have to let the second rule the first. And so they took it all the way to the Supreme Court, and in 2014, they won. I don't know if you heard about this, but also in 2014, there was a legislation passed in the city of Houston, and some of the evangelical pastors in the city of Houston didn't agree with it, and, they circu- and there were petitions being signed in some of the churches. And the mayor of Houston subpoenaed all the pastor's sermons from the church, and the pastors refused to give those up because the two were in conflict. And sure enough, they took that to court and the pastors won. Many of us fall into this trap. No matter where we, where we land on the spectrum, many of us fall into the trap of believing that our greatest needs and our greatest hope is going to be solved by the first kingdom that somehow if we can just get it all right and get the right people in place and pass the right laws that everything is going to be solved and all our deepest needs and all our deepest desires and all of our deepest purposes will be fulfilled if we just get that all in the right place but as followers of Jesus Christ we know That's why it's important to participate and we need to engage and we need to make, do what we can so that our belief affects the way that we live and affects the nation that we live in. We know that our ultimate hope and our ultimate joy and our ultimate satisfaction lies not in the first kingdom, but in the second. So when the two are in conflict and it would be so much easier just to go with the first, we make the difficult choice to stand with the second. You and I are a part of two kingdoms. There's an earthly one, and there's a heavenly one. And no matter what happens in this world, that second one always needs to govern the first. There's this story in the Old Testament that I love. It's about a man named Joshua, a military leader, a political leader named Joshua. And he's leading God's people. And they're about to fight the battle of Jericho. You remember this battle? If you've been in church world very long, you ever went to Sunday school, you probably know about Jericho. They walk around the city seven times and the walls come tumbling down, right? Joshua is about to go into what is the most important battle of his life. You can imagine what he's feeling. He's nervous. He's leading these people into what the land that God has promised his people for generations. And he has this first task, which is the city of Jericho, which is this heavily fortified, difficult city. The people are going to stand up on the walls and just pick the Israelites off as they come up. And as Joshua is dealing with this tension, the Bible says that an angel of the Lord comes to Joshua. And it says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him this important question. Are you with us or are you against us? Are you for us or are you against us? Are you fighting for, for Jericho or are you fighting for us, the Israelites? And I love the angel's response. Are you with us or against us? Are you for us or against us? Which side are you on? And the angel says, no. And Joshua must be thinking to himself, it's not even a yes or no question. I didn't ask you a yes or no question. I asked, I asked a very specific question. Are you for us or against us? Are you with us or are you with them? Are you for the Israelites or are you for Jericho? And the angel of the Lord looks at Joshua and he says, no, no, no. Wrong question, Joshua. Joshua. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord, and now I've come. And Joshua fell to, on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? An angel came to Joshua just to remind him that there were two kingdoms he was a part of. There was the earthly kingdom that was occupying Joshua's mind. How are we going to win this battle? How are we going to take down Jericho? How are we going to break down these walls? How are we going to gain a victory for the Israelites? What are people going to say about me? How am I going to go down in the books as a political leader and a military leader? What are are the, the generations going to think about me? And he comes to him in that moment and says, Joshua, don't forget you're part of two kingdoms. And God is much more concerned with that second kingdom then he is the first. If you're going to hold allegiance, Joshua, to one kingdom, hold it to God's kingdom. It's exactly how Jesus resolves the tension, too. Remember that question? A teacher, should we pay taxes to Caesar? This is what Jesus says in Mark chapter 12 when he responds. He said to them, he said, bring me a coin. So they brought it to him. And he said, he held up the coin and he said to the people, he said, whose picture is on the coin? And the people said, well, Caesar's picture is on the coin. And Jesus said, well then, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Caesar's face is on the coin. Give it to Caesar. That coin is stamped with his image. That coin has his imprint on it. So give it to him if that's what he wants. But let me tell you something. Your life is stamped with the image of God. He has put his image in you. He has put his face on you. So take your life and give it to him is what Jesus is saying to the people. And what Jesus is saying to them is, listen, I get it, you live in two kingdoms and one of them's kind of messy right now. And you should be a part of both. Yeah, give, your, give it to Caesar. That's his face. That's his coin. Give it to him. Participate in that. But never forget that your life, your soul, your everything belongs to the second. And if you're looking for satisfaction today, if you're looking for fulfillment today, if you're looking for a source of purpose and sense and meaning, none of those things are ever going to be fulfilled by the kingdoms of this world. They will only be fulfilled by the kingdom of God. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward as we close this morning. This is such an important thing for us to think about as followers of Jesus Christ. What is the relationship that we are to have as citizens of the state? You might be surprised to learn that we're not called to just withdraw completely But we're called to engage. And some of us this morning might need to be reminded. Might need to be reminded. That if we take all our hopes and all our plans and all our joys and all our sense of fulfillment and meaning and try to place them in that first kingdom, we will always find ourselves lacking. It's only when we take those things and we put them within the kingdom of God that we find our deepest needs and our deepest needs satisfied and our deepest purposes in life fulfilled. Because you and I are a part of two kingdoms. There's an earthly one. And there's a heavenly one. When the two are in conflict, that second one, it should always govern the first. God, we come to you this morning. I want to take a moment right now, God, and lift up our nation to you. God, I don't know I don't know how many leaders we have in place who put you first in their lives, who get on their knees every morning and give their plans to you. But today we want to say to you that we're sorry. We're sorry because we as your people are not getting on our knees enough and giving our plans and giving our desires And giving our purposes to you. We as your people are not enough coming into your presence and asking you what it is that you want from us. How you desire to rule and govern over our lives. And God some of us in this place this morning We are seeking to have our needs and our purposes in life met in the things of this world. And so we're running after it through human structures. And we're running after it through the way that we live our lives. Lord, would you remind us this morning that if that's the way we live, if we're only a part of the one kingdom, that we will always be found, be left wanting and waiting. Lord, I pray for those of us who are in this place this morning that have tried the human kingdom and have tried it in every way possible, that today would be the day that we would submit ourselves to your authority, that today would be the day that we would allow you to come in and take control of our lives and we would recognize that we were made for another world, that we were designed for another kingdom. Lord, forgive us for putting our hope in the things of this world and not putting it in you. Forgive us for spending so much time in arguments and not enough time on our knees. Forgive us for finding time in the evils of other people's words and missing the image of God that's inside of them. Lord, would we be the kind of people that engage the kingdoms of this earth because we are a part of your kingdom? Would we be the kind of people that long to see your kingdom come and your will be done far more than we long to see our own kingdom come and our own will be done? Make us those kind of people who recognize your rule and your reign and your authority in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and let's close our service this morning recognizing the authority that God holds in your life and in mine.